in this um, in this conference, we have a general subject, which is to um, <clears throat> meet God's need and present needs in the Lord's recovery. And this is our third meeting. The first meeting was clearly on meeting God's need. The second meeting was clearly on meeting a present need in the Lord's recovery. How about this one? Is this on prayer? Is this on meeting God's need? Or is this on meeting a present need in the Lord's recovery? Well, it's a trick question, because as we see the outline, we're going to find out it's both. It's both. Prayer is our top cooperation with God to meet his need. But prayer meets a very critical need that we have. So there's a a matching of God's need and our need. And we'll see that further in the outline. I'd just like to say at the beginning a, a very brief word before we get into this. Um, brothers and sisters, we need to advance in our prayer life, both personally and corporately. And this outline emphasizes very much our personal prayer. And, uh, you know, prayer is a very good indicator of our spiritual condition. What comes out of our mouth when we pray says a lot about our spiritual condition. It also says a lot about our actual relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, I, I've been in the recovery, and many of you have, for many, many years now. So that means there are brothers and sisters who I have known for 45 years. And I have an observation. It's not a criticism. It's an observation. Some of them pray today exactly the same way they prayed 40 years ago. It shouldn't be this way. There are stages of prayer. There are levels of prayer. Prayer, like we said with faith and love, prayer should have a development. And then I have observed other saints who I knew for many years. Wow. They're at a different level of prayer. And I can see it. And I, I think at the beginning of this fellowship, we should ask the Lord, like the disciples did, Lord, teach us how to pray. We actually don't know. We know how to do some things. And we know how to do something that we call prayer. But not everything we call prayer is prayer. Do you understand my funny words? Just like not everything we call prophesying is prophesying. 
it's speaking. We, we might call it prayer, but God wouldn't recognize it as prayer. Well, let me just say, it's very possible for us to have a natural view of prayer or to think that we know what it is. Well, I just remind you of Romans 8. It says very clearly, we don't know or what we should pray as is fitting. And if you do know, that's a problem. It's a problem. It means you're probably not praying. You're probably uttering natural words. So let me begin with the title. There are four points in this title And they have a sequence, and the sequence is absolutely critical. It has to be this sequence. And it gives a kind of definition of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer to absorb God. Before anything else, if what we are doing is really prayer, we will absorb God. We won't just quickly open our mouth to ask him for this and that. We will enter into a fellowship with him to absorb him. And this takes time. You can't just do it in 30 seconds. Um, We'll get into this. Then if we absorb God, Then now we have a chance to express God instead of expressing our thought, instead of expressing our view, instead of expressing our will, we express God. And why do we express him? Because we absorbed him. We absorbed him and he infused us with his mind and with his feeling and with his will. Now, we can pray to God as a friend. I, I just love this so much, and we'll, we'll get into it. The picture was with Abraham. But let me just say, even right now, you know, we all have friends. Now, we, call, we don't call each other friends. We call each other brothers and sisters, but the truth is we're friends too. And, uh, you know, when you talk to a friend, you don't speak in a formal way. You don't plan what you're going to say. I just use this example again. Brother Jim and I were college classmates We've known each other for decades. We're brothers and we're friends. So when I see Jim, I don't say, oh, brother Jim Clark, it's a pleasure. We're friends. And the way we talk to our friends is not formal and not planned and not composed and not habitual 
it's spontaneous, isn't it? Well, the more we go on in our prayer life, the less formal our prayers will be, the more human. I do use this word, the more human they will be. We'll have a a human conversation with the Lord. Then, because we are God's friend, you know, the Bible says about Abraham, he's called the friend of God. You know, God needs friends. And I don't know, but I think that he's the only person in the Bible who's called the friend of God. Of course, Moses was a friend of God, but I don't know if that word was used. And wouldn't it be great if the Lord said, Jim, you're my friend. Seth, you're my friend. Tom, you're my friend. I hope he would say it to me. Mark, you're a friend of God. Oh, you're not just a person who prays. You're a friend of God. And once we are his friend, we get to the fourth point. We can work, co-work with God, which is to meet his need. The first part is to meet our need. And the result is that we meet his need. And I just like to give you this basic thought, which is prayer is a learning. It's like a, it's like a spiritual skill. We all have a spirit. We can all pray, but it has to be developed. It has to be learned. It has to be practiced and it has to, uh, it should change over time. Now, the first and basic meaning of prayer is to absorb God. This is not a natural concept. Um, And I would say, although we're talking mainly about our personal prayer life, I would say even in our corporate prayer, we need to absorb God. I'm not opposed to having a list of things to pray for. But to be honest, I don't like lists. Because what I have observed is when there's a list, nobody absorbs God. They just go down a list. Wouldn't it be wonderful, even in our corporate time together, before we deal with things and events and activities, just spend a little time to absorb God and make sure that God has gotten into us with his thought and with his feeling and with his will and with his burden, at least a little time. Of course, we should do it before we come to the corporate meeting. And then we need to practice this very much in our personal life. Okay, I read Roman numeral one, the meaning of prayer is to absorb God. The more we contact God, the more we will absorb him. And the more we absorb him, 
the more we will enjoy him as our light and our salvation. That's our need. That's, that's a urgent present need in the Lord's recovery is to have this kind of prayer. This is based very much on Psalm 27. David was such a person and we know that verse, he said, one, one thing have I desired of the Lord that, uh, let me read it. One thing have I asked from Jehovah, that do I seek, to dwell in the house of Jehovah all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Jehovah and to inquire in his temple. How about that? That's a person who prays to absorb God. But he begins that I just read to you Psalm 27, 4. He begins in Psalm 27, 1 by saying, Jehovah is my light and salvation. And this, this shows us, brothers and sisters, that God's being our light and salvation show that God himself is what we need. God does not give us light as something apart from himself. He does not give salvation to us apart from himself. No, he is our light and salvation. And, and how do we get it? We simply absorb it. When we absorb him, we absorb light. We absorb salvation. So what God gives us is himself. Light is God, salvation is God, power is God, grace is God. Every spiritual need that we have is God himself. Don't let that remain a doctrinal teaching. We just say, yeah, you know, he's the reality of all the positive things. Well, how do we get it? If you tell me that... God is what I need. My question is, okay, how do I get God? And that's what we're talking about in this message. David contacted and absorbed God by beholding him as beauty. Let's pause for a minute. How can we behold him? He's invisible. And, you know, we face this very much with the young people and the full-time trainees. We tell them, okay, have a time to pray. And they can't do it because they don't know how to do it. Especially if we say, Spend some time to behold the Lord. What's that? Well, it's a learning. It's a learning. And we do behold him. And there's a practical application here. But let me just finish reading this. 
David contacted and absorbed God by beholding him as beauty. When he contacted God to absorb God, he was enlightened and received salvation within. That was his realization as he was beholding the Lord. Oh, the Lord is my light and salvation. I'm experiencing him as light and salvation. Number one, and number two, give the application. Let me read them together, and then I'll share it. Beholding God as our beauty is a great key and a great secret to experiencing God for his heart's desire. Great secret. So don't be discouraged if we're all learning. We're learning to behold an invisible person. That, that's a learning. Now, he, listen to this. Are the reference verses for small ones, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. You know, we often quote verse 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding, reflecting. But start at verse 16. The context is the reading of God's word. It says, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So the heart needs to turn to the Lord so that the veil will be taken away. Then you behold him. Where? In his word. In his word. You want to, know, you want to behold the Lord? Don't just close your eyes and pray and say, I'm going to, I'm beholding. All you're beholding is the inside of your eyelids. No, no, put your eyes on God's word and look for that person and you will find him. He's there. So two says, by the divine dispensing through the washing, of the water of life in the word of Christ. He beautifies us as the house of his beauty to be his beautiful bride for his beautification. We know Ephesians 5 talks about the washing of the water in the word, sanctifying us. This is a real experience. It matches John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The way that we can uh, behold the Lord is in his word. But you have to read his word in a proper way. Otherwise, all you will behold is letters. We don't want to behold letters. We want to behold the person. How do we do that? By genuine prayer. By genuine prayer. We put together the reading of the scriptures with genuine prayer. When you do that, you get the person. You don't just get the letter. You behold him. You behold him. Now, C is very good. It says, You know, this is a gospel hymn. There is a hymn that says, 
just as I am. I think we know that hymn. And of course, that's referring, that hymn refers to our initial salvation. But my brothers and sisters, it still applies to us. It, 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 it contains a very important principle of prayer, and that is what we see in John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truthfulness. Truthfulness is genuineness. We don't pray what we think God wants to hear. We, we, we pray what is actually within us in a genuine way. And the wonderful thing is the Lord already knows. He, he already knows what your condition is. So you don't wait to change your condition and say, Lord, I'll come to you as soon as I fix up everything. No, just come, just come. He already knows. So here it says, this means that we should come to God just as we are, without trying to improve or change our condition. We come to God. Sorry, we received Christ in this way. That's right. We came to him as we were, and we go on in this same way. We walk in this same way. So D says to pray is to come to the Lord just as we are. Amen. When we come to the Lord, you know, there is a big difference between the corporate prayer and the personal prayer, isn't there? In the corporate prayer, there's a lot of things you shouldn't say in a public corporate prayer. But sometimes I tell people, if you could listen, and thank God you can't, but if you could listen to my personal prayer with God, you would come to the conclusion, oh man, that Mark Robbie is a bad, bad brother. Because when I pray, I just speak in a genuine way to the Lord. And when you do that, you you contact him. You know, Peter made a lot of mistakes in the Gospels, but we got to give him credit. He was genuine. And because he was genuine, he, he received special shepherding from the Lord. Because he because he needed it, and he knew he needed it. So when we come, we tell it like it is. When we come to the Lord, He's our friend. So we should lay our inner condition before Him and tell Him that we're short in every matter, even if we are weak, confused, sad, and speechless. If you're sad 
and you talk to your friend, you say, you know, I'm down. I'm sad. You know, we always say, how you doing? We always say, oh, great. The only time we answer that question genuinely is with someone we really trust and we really have a, a, a good relationship with, then we might answer genuinely and say, well, I'm okay, but I have a problem. And this is how we need to be with the Lord. We don't ignore our actual condition and we don't try to fix our actual condition. We bring our actual condition to him and, and don't wait. No matter what our inner condition is, we should bring it to God positively and negatively. Sometimes we say, Lord, I'm so happy to be here. He likes that. If that's, if that's your genuine feeling. Okay, let's go on. Um, e is a treasure. Point E is an absolute treasure. Instead of caring about our condition, we need to enter into God's presence to contact him by, look at all these verbs, by looking to him, beholding him, praising him, giving thanks to him, worshiping him, and absorbing him. This is real prayer. This is genuine prayer. Now, I know there are different aspects of prayer. There, there are. But this is God's view of prayer. This is, what, this is what he wants. And let me tell you, this is why very often we all have this experience. Very often the Lord doesn't answer the prayer very quickly. Even if it's according to his will, you, you want a family member to be saved. Well, so does the Lord. But he wants more than that. He wants you to absorb God in, in all of these ways. So he doesn't answer your prayer immediately. And on a, on a human level, this frustrates us. We say, hey, if you're going to answer it after a hundred prayers, just answer it after one, we, you know, and let's move on to the next thing. See, that's, that's our concept. God's concept is keep praying, brother, and absorb God. Keep absorbing God. And I'll tell you what he's really waiting for. He's waiting for what I talked about in the beginning, which is the, the match between our need and his need. That kind of match. 
You know, you see that with Hannah in the Old Testament. She began by praying for a son. That's her need. But God had a need also. God's need was to revive the degraded priesthood. And Hannah prayed quite a long time. But finally, finally she prayed this, Lord, if you give me a son, I will lend him to you for his entire life as a Nazarite. Now, her need and God's need exactly corresponded with each other. And Samuel came out. Wow. You know, this next training, we're going to talk about Samuel uh, in the semi-annual training. Samuel is a wonderful type of Christ because in the whole Old Testament, you can't find another person like Samuel. He never had a failure. He never made a mistake. David did. Solomon did. Not Samuel. Anyway, I just point this out that God's God's agenda is a little different than ours. Yes, he wants to answer prayers that are according to his will. He even wants to answer prayers that take care of our personal needs. But he also wants to carry out his economy by dispensing himself into us through our absorbing him. He wants to do both. And if you look at the pattern of prayer in Matthew 6, when the disciples asked the the Lord how to pray, teach us to pray, he included both man's need and God's need. But which one came first? God. Father, your name be sanctified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Then at the end, give us this day our daily bread. Well, probably you don't even need the the ending, but you'll feel better if you say it. Uh, Those things he he will do anyway. But, But you see the sequence in the pattern of prayer there. God's need is primary. And man's need is included. That's a a good principle. Okay, let me finish this point. We absorb him by all of these means. And then we will be inwardly peaceful, bright, strong, and empowered. And here's a further point. We will then learn the lesson of staying connected to him when we are ministering the word to the saints. Now, you may say, I don't minister the word to the saints. That's, that's Mark Robbie's job. No, that's your job. We all minister the word to the saints. Mothers minister the word to their children who are saints. We all minister the word to the saints in the prophesying meeting. And I say again, you know, 
not all speaking that happens in the prophesying meeting is prophesying. Some of it is, and some of it is not. And why? Because not everyone stays connected. There's a very, very, very close link between praying and prophesying. And I don't mean just praying before the prophesying meeting. I mean what this outline is saying. We have to stay connected. What's the connection? Prayer. You say, well, how can I pray at the same time that I'm prophesying? The Lord did it. In his God-man living, he stayed in fellowship with the Father while he was speaking to others. It's a learning. We need to learn that. Now, point two is interesting because it develops this matter of absorbing God. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 reveals that Christ as the good land is the rich soil in which we have been rooted so that we may grow with the elements that we absorb from the soil. How about that? You know, in the type of the good land, we, we saw that every Israelite received an allotted portion of land, first by tribe, then by family, then by individual. So everybody had an allotted portion. That's the type. In the New Testament reality, it's much more subjective than that. You don't just get the land. You are planted in the land. You are the plant that is in the land. This is wonderful. This is subjective. And I love this. It says we will grow with the elements that we absorb from the land. So what are those elements? Oh, we could make a really, really long list, couldn't we? Because that land is the all-inclusive Christ. That's a a lot of elements in that soil. But in Colossians 2, I just point out to you, um, Paul describes this soil in uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. He tells us some of the elements that are in the soil that you and I are going to absorb. And he just, he mentions eight. I'll just mention them. I'm not going to develop them. I, but but I, I just, I want to tell you what you're absorbing. In verse nine, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Wow. I'm absorbing all the fullness of the Godhead. In verse 10, he's the head of all rule and authority. In verse 11, in whom we were circumcised. In verse 12, we were buried together with him. In verse 13, we were made alive. So resurrection is an element in this soil. 
Verse 14, he wiped out the handwriting in ordinances. That's in the soil. Verse 15, he stripped off the rulers and the authorities. Hallelujah. His victory over the evil powers is in the soil. It's an element in the soil. And then verse 10 gives us kind of summary. We are made full in him. What more do we need? There isn't anything we need in our Christian life that isn't an element in this soil. It's all there. It's plus a whole lot more that we don't even know about. Okay, I better read on here. By working together with God, Paul planted the believers. Paul said, I planted. I planted. What what is that? Through his speaking and his gospel preaching, he planted people into Christ as the soil. Paul planted the believers as the living plants into Christ as the soil. God puts us, the living plants, into Christ as the soil so that we may grow in Christ as life and be transformed in life to become precious materials for God's building. Wow. What a... What a wonderful, organic understanding of regeneration and baptism. You know, um, the Bible uses these organic illustrations of planting and also of grafting. And, you know, these are, these are agricultural terms. They're organic matters showing that our relationship with the Lord should be absolutely organic. It, 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 this is what prayer is for. It's to develop that organic relationship where God and Christ and the Spirit are no longer objective to us. No, we're in him. We're in him, and we're growing in him, and we're absorbing him. That's what prayer is for. According to God's economy, the one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by water. I'm pretty sure the text actually says transplanted. You know, we we got transplanted. We weren't planted by the water. We were planted by some other things. We got transplanted by the water, signifying God as the fountain of living waters. A tree grows beside a river by absorbing all the riches of the water. This is a picture of God's economy. You and I are trees. The flowing triune God is the river, which is similar to the soil. All kinds of nutrients and, and 
minerals and things that we need are in that water. Oh, sorry, I didn't finish. This is a picture of God's economy, which is carried out by his divine dispensing. And if you notice here, there's a reference to a footnote. And I'll just read it to you. It's quite short. This is from Isaiah 57. The footnote says this, the evil, the evil condition of the wicked is that they do not come to the Lord to eat and enjoy the Lord. They do many things, but they do not come to contact the Lord, to take him, to receive him, to taste him, and to enjoy him. In the sight of God, nothing is more evil than this. You know, when you read the Bible, Webster's Dictionary won't help you very much, and neither will your previous understanding. If I say to you, what's the most evil thing? You say, well, evil, evil, that's sin, division. No, that's not the, that's not God's definition of evil. That's, that's our definition. God has a different dictionary. You know what his dictionary is? He doesn't use Webster's. His dictionary actually is the Bible. And we define the Bible by the Bible. In God's sight, evil means we don't absorb him. That troubles him. Oh, you say, well, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm praying. I'm preaching the gospel. I, I'm. He says, yeah, but you're not. You're not contacting me. You're not tasting me. You're not drinking me. That's evil. We need it. We need our mind renewed, don't we? We need to read the Bible a lot more because the Bible is defined by the Bible. Okay, C says, in order to receive the divine dispensing, we as the trees must absorb God as the water, the riches of the supplying God dispense into us as the trees constitute us with God's divinity and cause us to grow with the growth of God. In this way, we and God become one, having the same element, essence, constitution, and appearance. Like petrified wood, it absorbs, the wood absorbs what is in the water, and it's changed, it's transformed into something that matches the elements in the water. If a plant does not absorb nutrients from the soil, the plant cannot grow. You know, we live in a, a small place and we just have a, a little uh, space that we have some 
potted plants outside and they weren't growing as well as my wife was hoping they would. So she bought something to put in the soil to, it's called miracle grow. (laughs) It added some, uh, it added some elements to the soil and boy, those plants really flourished after that. It's a good picture. The plants, it's whatever's in the soil that's going to determine what those plants will be. Okay. Uh, D, if a plant does not absorb nutrients from the soil, the plant cannot grow. Likewise, if we do not receive what comes out of Christ as the head, the body can't grow. Uh, Sorry. Holding the head is therefore equal to being rooted in Christ as the soil. To hold the head is to remain in Christ, staying intimately connected to him without any insulation between us and him. You know, that verse about holding the head comes immediately following the verses on being rooted in Christ as the soil. They're talking about the same thing. They're talking about, I come back to this, an organic connection, an organic union, an organic relationship. And that results in growth, both individual growth and the growth of the body, because our individual growth added together becomes the corporate growth. Okay, let me read on. The growth of the body depends on the growth of God, the addition of God, the increase of God within us. God's building is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom we also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. How does this happen? How does God's building grow? By our absorbing the riches of Christ, the actual building of the house of God is by the believer's growth in life. Now, F says what I mentioned a moment ago, individual growth becomes corporate growth. If all the members grow individually, the body will be built up corporately. Just like our physical body. If the, if the members just grow in a normal way, then they, the body gets built up. The entire body grows. It's, it's organic. Colossians 2.7 puts being rooted and being built up together. This is because rooted is for growing and growing 
is genuine building. Wow. Colossians 2 is quite a chapter, isn't it? The only way to become deeply rooted in Christ is to contact him as the soil in order to daily absorb the water in the word. In this way, we take root downward and bear fruit upward. Now, Saints, point H is really the application of this entire matter of absorbing the Lord. And it's pretty self-explanatory. We need to take time to absorb Christ day by day by having a personal and private time with him. So that spontaneously we will walk in Christ and live out Christ for the corporate expression of Christ. I know. We all know this. My question is, do we do it? Say, so, well, I have morning revival every day. I read the, I read the book. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about absorbing the Lord by having a personal and private time with him. Now, point one, our daily need is to allow adequate time. You're going to see in these subpoints the word time mentioned over and over because it takes time. It takes time. You know, when you see a tree, you see those big roots coming out of the trunk. Those are not the roots that absorb the water. It's the little tiny, tiny roots far beneath the surface that absorb the water. Meaning, you can't absorb a lot at one time. You know, it's like drinking water. If you drink a gallon of water all at once, your body can't absorb that. It's too much. You won't benefit. You won't get a, a the benefit of a gallon of water, but if you drink a few ounces, your body will absorb it. You'll get the benefit of it. This takes time. It takes time. Okay, so it says here, our daily need is to allow adequate time. Now, you you may ask me, what's adequate time? I don't know. We, got to, we have to find out. The more, the better. Allow adequate time for prayer, which will enable us to absorb more of the riches of our God. In the morning, many saints may spend a time with the Lord, but they may not absorb much of his riches because they're in too much of a hurry. We cannot absorb the riches of Christ into us as our nourishment, if we're in a hurry. It's our experience, isn't it? How much time does it take? I'm not sure, but I do know you can't be in a hurry. And, you know, the reference here is Psalm 119. 
Oh, I love that psalm so much. If you know, if you find your appetite for the Lord, for the word um, waning, just read Psalm 119. Just read it. After you read Psalm 119, man, you're going to want to read the whole Bible again. You just will. It, 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 it just, it just rekindles your love for God's word. Okay, then two says we need to spend more time. So we need to spend adequate time and we need to spend more time, more personal and private time with the Lord in order to absorb him. We must exercise our spirit to spend more time in our spirit to adore the Lord, to praise him, to offer thanks to him and to speak to him freely, then God will give us the growth as we enjoy him as our banquet. The addition of God into us by receiving him as our new nourishment and fresh enjoyment through his words of spirit, life, gladness, and joy is the growth that he gives So here again, we connect prayer with his words. Then point four mentions considerable time. So we have adequate time, more time, and considerate amount of time with the Lord daily in order to absorb God. The salvation of his countenance will become the salvation of our countenance. You know, that's why sometimes with the saints, when we see each other, we say, man, that person is shining. Well, why, why is she shining? Why is he shining? <laughs> he absorbed God. You know, when Moses absorbed God, his face was shining. So actually, there's some evidence in your countenance. Okay, I need to go on. So this is the first and basic meaning of prayer is to absorb God. Don't skip that. And you say, well, I don't really know how to do that. This outlines a good help. And, and, and it's something we can learn. It is. Uh, Anyway, let me, let, let me move on. Roman numeral three, the meaning of prayer is also to express God. In Psalm 27, four, David says that he desired not only to behold the beauty of the Lord, that beholding of the beauty of the Lord, that's the absorbing. But he said he also wanted to inquire in his temple. Now, I say again, our definition of inquire may not match the definition in the Bible. When we say inquire, we think it means to ask God something. Actually, to inquire is to let God speak within us so that the words that we eventually speak to him in prayer 
are actually God's speaking within us, God's expressions. So what does that mean? It's something like this. When we come to the Lord and we are beholding him, we're absorbing him. Now it's time to inquire. To inquire is not to ask God to do something. It's to ask him to speak. Lord, is there anything you would like to speak to me? What is in your heart concerning me? What is in your heart concerning the church in my locality? What's in your heart concerning the saints who I carry for? Let him speak. You say, well, how's he going to do it? He'll do it. It's a learning. And he may speak to you using the words of the scriptures, or he may just anoint you within with the the understanding of what he would speak to you. Real prayer. I like this. Pay attention to the word real. Not every prayer is real prayer. You know, during the, there's a story that happened during the Welsh revival and the Welsh revival, you know, it's famous something like 70,000 people got saved. And there is a story of a prayer meeting. By the way, Jesse Penn Lewis wrote concerning the Welsh revival that they prayed in small groups, which she called prayer circles. And she said, every single person who got saved Someone prayed for them. Of course they did. That's how God moves. And one time they were having a prayer circle and a young man was praying and Evan Roberts was in that prayer meeting and he got up from his seat. He walked over to the young man and he put his hand over the young man's mouth so that he couldn't pray. And so, what are you doing? He said, that's, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. And I think sometimes in the prayer meeting, the Lord would like to put his hand over our, our mouths. And he'd like to say, I'm hearing words, lots of words but I'm not hearing real prayer. You imagine how frustrating it must be for the Lord. He has millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of believers. They're offering up prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. He's listening to them and he's saying, man, when, when is a real one going to come? I hope he doesn't say that about my prayer. So here, let's find out what real prayer is. Real prayer 
is our coming to God, letting God speak within us. We don't speak first. We speak second. He speaks first. And we don't speak until he speaks. Then our prayer expresses God by speaking back to him. And this is illustrated by this verse from Psalms. When you say, seek my face, God spoke. To you, my heart says, your face, O Jehovah, will I seek. Spoke back what God had spoken. So who initiated this prayer? God did and this matches John fifteen seventeen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. This verse presents three crucial points. First, we must abide in the Lord, which is to remain in fellowship with the Lord. That's to absorb him. To fellowship with him is to absorb him. Second, the Lord's words must abide in us. That's his speaking. When we abide in the Lord and are in constant fellowship with him, there will be a speaking within us. Then, based on his speaking within us, we ask the Lord. And the words that we ask him are the words he has spoken. They didn't come from us. C says, when we really touch, contact, and absorb God, he will speak within us. Then we will pray according to his inner speaking. To pray is to go to God, meet him, draw near to him, commune with him, and absorb him so that he can speak to us inwardly. When we pray to him with his words, to us, our prayer expresses God. And if you say, well, I'm not, I'm not receiving any words, open your Bible. The entire thing is his words to us. The entire thing is. A point D is very, very precious. It says in our contact with the Lord, we need to learn some principles. Or you could say some secrets. This is the secret of contacting the Lord. Number one, we should not direct the Lord in our prayer. We don't. We don't give him directions. We let him speak. Instead, like Saul of Tarsus, we should ask, what shall I do, Lord? Not, this is what I will do, Lord. Number two, when we draw near to the Lord and contact him, he causes us to see our needs and points out our problems, faults, stains, and sins. The way for us to take the living water is to confess these sins to the Lord. 
This is why we shouldn't open our mouth so quickly. We might say, well, I, we, we got to pray for the conference. We got to pray for the retreat. We got to pray for the Lord said, yeah, you know, those can wait. Let's talk about you. This is why we need to inquire before we pray. There may be some matters that we need to confess. When we draw near to the Lord to contact him, we should seek the Lord himself as the unseen spiritual matters, not the seen physical matters. It sounds like I'm criticizing, but I'm not. I'm just making an observation. If we have the saints gathered together for pray for prayer, it's really, really easy to pray for activities and physical things. Oh, we're going to have a conference. We're going to have a retreat. We got, oh, we got children's this, and we got the young people, and oh, we can pray and pray and pray and pray for all of the, the seen things. It was very difficult. We have very little utterance. We have very few words when it comes to praying for the unseen spiritual matters. It's not a criticism. It shows that we need to learn. We need to advance corporately to another stage of prayer. Okay, the fourth secret. Human opinions frustrate the Lord's power. So not until we are hopelessly weak and utter failure and completely dead will the Lord manifest himself in us and to us as the resurrection power. We got to be Lazarus, not Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had the human opinions. Lazarus, he just died. So, he didn't have any opinions. Dead men have no opinions. So they can experience resurrection life, which he did. That means we don't have any hope, any trust in ourselves. We don't say, I know. I know what the Lord wants. I know. That's, that's Mary and Martha. It's better just to say, I don't know. I'm hopeless. I'm a failure. In fact, I'm... I'm in the tomb. The Lord will say, great. Now I can finally do something with you. Okay, number five. When we draw near to the Lord, we need to let him do what he wills in us. Real prayer is always based on his will. A good example of that is in Matthew 26, 39 in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord prayed three times to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, that's, that's a good prayer. It's a short prayer. It sure is good because it's a basic principle and secret of prayer. Okay, six, whenever, even when we are cold and indifferent towards the Lord or have fallen into the world, he will manifest himself to us. We may fail and change, but the Lord never fails or changes. 
Do you like these six secrets? I sure do. I, I think we need to pray about these secrets to learn them. Now, Roman numeral four tells us what the best prayer is. Do you want to know how to pray the best prayer? The best prayer is to pray to God as a friend. Abraham was the friend of God. In Genesis 18, the God of heaven humbled himself in order to befriend Abraham. He came to Abraham as a man, as a friend. I just testified to you, it was 13 years ago, exactly. I remember the very time that it happened. My entire personal prayer life changed. It's like I passed through a door. And it was, everything was different than it had been in the previous years. And I began, I don't say I learned it, I began this kind of prayer to pray to God as a friend. And I've been practicing it now for the, these past 13 years. It's different than the way I prayed in the past, a lot different. So let's read these. After he was circumcised and his natural strength was terminated, Abraham lived in intimate fellowship with God and became God's friend. So here's, let's, let's call it a prerequisite to praying this kind of best prayer. We have to be circumcised and have our natural strength terminated. Otherwise, we can't live in intimate fellowship with God and be his friend. The glorious intercession that Abraham made before God, listen to this, was a human intimate conversation between two friends. Does your prayer sound like a human intimate conversation or does it sound like a religious formal prayer? I'm just asking. I'm not saying. It's an intimate talk that is based on and according to God's unveiling to his friend, his heart's desire. I just love Genesis 18. I hope you'll go back and read that. Before God told Abraham what he was going to do in Sodom, God talked to himself and he said, I can't hide this thing from Abraham. And, he, and then he says, for I know him. I know him. See, God needed an intercessor. He knew Abraham would be such a person because Abraham was his friend. He said, I need to, I need to tell him. I need to tell him. And then he'll intercede. Okay, let me go on. Um, 
we shouldn't try don't i mean don't try to completely change the way you pray this afternoon this is a development in our christian life it's it's a learning over time but we can tell the lord lord i want to be your friend i want you to be my friend i want to be able to speak to you as a friend you know just real quick in the beginning of that intercession what well before the intercession you know what preceded abraham's intercession for lot a long time of fellowship Three men came to Abraham's tent. Two were angels. One was the Lord himself. He said, come in. Come in. Have something to eat. He tells Sarah, make some bread. Make, 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 make some food. And he ate and drank together with the three men. And at first, he didn't know who they were. But through his conversation he had he began to realize hey this is the lord this is the lord i'm talking to here this is my friend my friend came for a visit and that period of fellowship unveiled not only the lord to abraham but also the um the need for to intercede for lot abraham did not wake up that morning and say to sarah sarah we really need to pray for lot let's pray for our nephew he 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 you know he's in sodom abraham didn't even know that he needed to pray for lot because he didn't know that God was going to destroy Sodom. He only got that understanding through his fellowship with the Lord. Now he's got the understanding. He says, ooh, the Lord's going to destroy Sodom. My nephew Lot and his wife and his family are in Sodom. But he didn't pray the way you and I would. We would say, oh, Lord, my nephew, his wife, his children, they're in Sodom. Please get them out of Sodom before you destroy it. No, he he didn't do that. You know what he said? He said, you're not going to destroy the good with the wicked, are you? Would you really do that? Would you indeed destroy the good along with the wicked? And then he challenged him. He said, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? (laughs) Who talks to God that way? He's telling God, hey, you better do the right thing here. You're the judge of the whole earth. Do, Do the right thing. Only God's intimate friend could say that to him. 
it doesn't even sound like, it doesn't resemble what you and I call prayer. It's just conversation. And, and it's a very human conversation. It's not religious in any way. And he didn't, well, anyway, he didn't ask God for anything specifically other than there's some right, there are some righteous ones in Sodom. Perhaps they could be saved. Okay, see, even before the incarnation, Jehovah as Christ appeared to Abraham in a human form with a human body and communed with him on a human level. How mysterious. He hadn't been incarnated. But, you know, time is God's invention. He doesn't, he doesn't live in time. It's not a problem for him to visit Abraham long before he was incarnated in time. As Abraham was enjoying sweet fellowship with God, he received a revelation. See, the fellowship comes first. The absorbing of God comes first. Then he received a revelation actually concerning two things that God wanted. The birth of Isaac and the destruction of Sodom. The birth of Isaac is related to the coming of Christ as grace and the destruction of Sodom is related to God's judgment upon sin. This means that Christ must come in and sin must go out. That's quite a revelation. Why did God reveal this? God revealed to Abraham his intention to destroy Sodom because God was seeking an intercessor for Lot. God couldn't save Lot. He wanted to save Lot. God knew Lot and his family were people of God, but he needed someone to pray for Lot because as we saw in the first message, God limits himself to our cooperation. And he knew he could trust Abraham. He knew if he told Abraham what was going to happen, Abraham would pray. And that's exactly what happened. He was seeking an intercessor. God wanted to save Lot in order to protect Christ's genealogy through Ruth, a Moabitess and a descendant of Lot. If something happened to Lot, it it affects God's entire economy going forward. So this isn't just a matter of, let's save this one man and his family. No, this is God's need. Thus, in God's intimate fellowship with Abraham, in a mysterious way, without mentioning Lot's name, God revealed his heart's desire. The proper intercession is not initiated by man, but by God's revelation. And therefore, it expresses God's desire and carries out his will. 
apparently Abraham was interceding for Sodom. It sounded like it because he never mentioned Lot. Actually, he was interceding for Lot by implication. This shows that we should intercede for God's people who have drifted into the world. It happens. It happens, doesn't it? And God wants to bring them out of the world. God wants to bring the prodigal sons back to the father's house. He can't do it unless we pray. In Abraham's, again, here I've, I've covered this, in Abraham's intercession for Lot, he did not beg God. According to his love and grace, he challenged God according to his righteous way. God's righteousness binds him more than his love and grace do. Now, point I, I hope you would treasure it, what a wonderful definition of intercession. Intercession is an intimate conversation with God according to the inward intention of his heart. For this, we must learn to linger in the presence of God. Abraham lingered. You know, the two angels left first to go to Sodom. Then the Lord left Abraham's tent. Abraham followed him out. And then the Lord began to act as if he was going to leave to go to Sodom. Abraham stayed with him. And it wasn't until then, at that point, God revealed, he said, how can I, how can I hide what's what I'm going to do from Abraham. If Abraham had let the Lord walk out of his tent and didn't linger with him, never would have happened. Again, I say, we're too fast. We're too much in a hurry in our prayer. Really, the slower, the better. Sometimes it's at the end that we have the proper understanding. We we come with our list and we say, Lord, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Amen. And when we say amen, it means goodbye. The Lord never had a chance to speak. And in Genesis 18, it says Abraham stayed with the Lord, not until Abraham had finished his speaking, but until God had finished his speaking. Maybe before we say amen, we should say, Lord, are you finished or is there more? There might be more. Okay, I finish. In our intimate fellowship with God, we receive the revelation that all the impossibilities become possibilities with Christ. This is related to the birth of 
Isaac. Abraham was a very old man, even for those days. And Sarah was far beyond the age of childbearing. And God said, I'm going to come back next year at the time of life. And Sarah will have a son. And Sarah laughed, but she didn't laugh out loud. She laughed in herself. And then the Lord said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. Look how human that is. That's part of what we understand when we get into this in, this intimate fellowship. All the things that we consider impossible, yeah, they're impossible for us, but they're not impossible for him. Okay, the conclusion, during the first aspect of our prayer, we enter into fellowship with God. He then anoints us with his burden for the work, and he reveals his intention to us. The second aspect of our prayer is then to inquire of the Lord by petitioning him concerning his will and his burden for the work. Then we carry out the purpose of prayer by coordinating with God to co-work with God. This is a nice summary of the entire outline. And the picture of this, I'll be very brief in this conclusion. The picture of this is the two altars in the tabernacle and everything in between the two altars. At the bronze altar in the outer court, man's need is met. At the golden incense altar in the holy place, at the entrance to the Holy of Holies, God's need is met. And what's in between these two altars? Oh, there's a few stops along the way. And that trip between the two altars signifies this kind of intimate fellowship and enjoyment of the Lord at the laver, at the table of the bread of the presence, at the lampstand. What is that? It's that fellowship. It's absorbing God. Now we come to the incense altar. Now we can intercede according to God. Okay, I'm sorry I went a little longer. Um, I'll stop now. And the brothers can put us into some groups.